What's going on, Redemption Community Church? My name is Corey Ball, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption. And I want to say thank you so much for joining us for our third week of our series, A Third Way, a series on race relations. Unfortunately, this is our last week of this series. Uh, I, I honestly hate to see it go. It's been an incredible series, I think. And uh, God's really done a lot through this series. Um, but this is our last week. And so we're so glad that you have joined us for this last week. In the past, I have uh, said a lot about the Enneagram. Um, I, I've, I've shared uh, you know, about it. I've shared about my number, which if you know anything about myself or if you know anything about the Enneagram, it's not hard uh, to imagine that I am an eight on the Enneagram. Uh, it means I'm the challenger. And um, basically, if you look at the Enneagram Institute, uh, they, they, they kind of list out, you, you know, your, your basic fears and your basic desires. And my basic fear is being harmed or controlled by other people. My basic desire is to be in control or to uh, control my own destiny. And, uh, and so it's not, not hard to see that for someone like me, it's really hard for me to not create sides, right? Like it's, it's a natural thing for me to desire to create sides, to know who's on my side and who is not on my side. Um, it's a very natural thing for me. But I, I believe that in our culture, uh, collectively, it's natural for mostly everyone today. And why is that? Be because at the end of the day, uh, tribes provide safety. Tribes provide safety. I mean, think about this. If, if, if you know, you're in the wilderness and you're all by yourself and you're facing the elements of, of the, the land and the, you know, the air, right? The weather. Um, if you're facing predatorial animals, if you're facing potential bandits, right? Like violent, uh, murderous, thieving bandits, okay? W would you rather face that by yourself or with a tribe, with a tribe, of course, right? Like, like this is why gangs exist, right? I mean, safety. This is why gangs exist, and so and so we work to create these tribes. Uh, you know, th this idea of better together is really primal. It's really within us for our own protection. It's our survival instinct. It's only natural. And then a step further, community provides belonging. Just as tribes provide safety, community provides belonging. And so uh, we all have this desire to belong, to be surrounded by people who love us. Um, it's crazy when you look at overcrowded orphanages, um, especially in third world countries, the, the, the mortality rate for, for these babies um, is actually about 40% higher than the mortality rate for babies in the rest of the world. <clears throat> Why is this? The, it's because there's, uh, there's a lack of love. There's a lack of physical touch. There's a lack of community, of belonging, of, of connectivity. And all stats show this. All studies show that the babies who are not loved, that they're not touched, they're not held and cared for, that they literally stop producing um, human growth hormones. They stop producing these growth hormones that are that are natural in our bodies, and uh, and also their immune systems start to shut down. Right? They literally die because of a lack of love, a lack of physical touch, um, a lack of community. 
See, it is primal within us to have safety and belonging, to have tribes and community. And so what we do unknowingly often is, is we work to either create a tribe or to join a tribe because we want to know who is for us and who is against us, right? I mean, it's a very natural thing. Remember, going back to the last two weeks, we want to know who is in camp friend of mine, right? And, and everyone else, they can go into them garbage, right? But, but, but no matter what, we do it often um, unknowingly, but it's, it's really for safety. It's, it's really for belonging. It's really to pro- provide community or to find community. So when we think of this series, Bottom Line, that Jesus didn't come to take sides, he came to take over. This idea that, that Jesus didn't come to, to join your tribe or to join their tribe. Jesus didn't come, uh, you know, to, 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 to be in your community or their community. No, no, he didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And when we hear that, we often don't feel warm and fuzzy inside, right? When, when, when we hear that, we, we feel kind of unsettled. Like, wait, 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 Jesus, you're telling me you're not going to be on my side, right? Oh, oh, like you have your own side and I have to submit to that side? Okay, like we, we start to feel weird about that, right? Um, we want to make sure at all times, uh, we, 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 we want to know that Jesus is on our side. And, and when it's not certain that he's on our side, we start to get a little tense, you know? We start to freak out a little bit. We, we look at Jesus the same way that we look at picking teams for a backyard full contact football game. I mean, I grew up in Ohio and, and you know, the, the, the quintessential American experience playing a full contact game of football in someone's backyard in the shadows of, of the waves of, of, of amber grain, right? Um, and, and the waves of, of, of corn stalks blowing in the wind during the summer. Like, I grew up in that atmosphere and we would play these full contact, like brutal gladiator football matches. And there was always certain people, there were always certain people that, 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 that you wanted on your team. And I hate to brag, but I was typically that guy. You know what I mean? In, in those types of games, it's really simple. Um, you, you take the biggest dude, you take the bruiser that can't be tackled, and you go, hey, give him the ball. And so people would say, give Corey the ball. He'll just run over people. And we look at Jesus as if we are a captain on one of these teams and we're picking teams we're picking sides we're picking a tribe to win a game right and what what often happens is we go hey uh, i'm gonna recruit him jesus right like i'm gonna pick him he's gonna be on my team he's gonna look at my playbook i'm gonna give him the play and he'll do everything that i command of him but that's not jesus Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't bend at our every whim. No, no, no. Jesus always has a third way, right? He's not, he's not on our side. He didn't come to, to, to take our side. He came to take over. We have the opportunity to get on his side, right? So this week, we're going to uh, open up by looking at <clears throat> this passage in Joshua that I love. I think one of the things when it comes to this idea of the third way of living is we, we equate it with Jesus, and it's true. It's maybe most seen in Jesus' teachings. 
if you've been following our text message threads and, and Instagram posts and things like that throughout this past week and the week before, um, you'll see that, that we've really given you a lot of evidence of how Jesus offers this third way in almost everything that he does. But we can be tempted to think that this is just a Jesus thing. No, no, it's, it, it's a God thing, right? Remember the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit— it's all three persons, and, and this third way of living is really the third way of the kingdom of God. It's existed all, all of time, okay? And so we're going to look at this, this um, story in Joshua. It's an incredible, um, uh, incredible part of Scripture. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 5. Now, Joshua chapter 6 is the battle of Jericho. This is when, uh, when Joshua specifically leads the Israelites to march around the city seven times. In, in the, the, the walls of, of Jericho, they fall and God gives them that victory. It's an incredible story. You can read that later. But we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 5, the very last verses, verses 13 through 15. And it says this. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Now, I'm going to pause us, and I'm going to look at this two-letter word that I highlighted there. O-R. Or, right? See, this idea that, that we've created sides, and, and you have to choose, are you on this side or that side? This, this idea of polarity, if you think that that's a new invention, then, then, then you're crazy. If you think it, it just came around in 2020, then, then you're wrong. This wasn't something that was invented even in 2016 during the election season. No. This has been around forever. One of Israel's greatest leaders of all time struggled with this word, O-R. Are you friend, O-R, foe? Are you in camp friend of mine, O-R, should I put you in the them garbage? We struggled with this forever. It's part of our humanity. It's part of who we are. We want to know, are you with me, O-R, against me? Let's continue to see what this man says, verse 14. Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. I think at some point in Joshua's life, someone came alongside of him and they taught him about the third way, the third way of God. Because in this, in this story, Joshua, he, um, he's really concerned. Like, are you friend or foe, right? Are you friend or foe? And the commander of the Lord's army says, neither, which that's a moment that you go, okay, like, I'm going to keep my sword close to me. I got to find out who you are, you know. He says, neither. Uh, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua immediately, it says, it says, at this, he fell on his face. And he says, I'm at your command. Like, Joshua didn't argue with it, right? Like, he didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't go against it. He, he, was, he was ready to be obedient to the third way. He was ready to step into the third way. I love this picture because the, the leader of Israel's army models for us this humility of submitting to the third way of the kingdom of God. 
And I love this because he says, I'm at your command. And, um, and the commander of the Lord's army says, take off your, your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. And Joshua, he does it. He does it without arguing. He does it without griping. He does it without putting it all over Facebook and asking for everyone's opinion, right? He just obeys. It's an incredible example for us. There's something to be had here, right? There's something to be learned here. This idea that the third way has always been. I think for most of our lives, many of us have just missed it. And so we have an opportunity now to live our lives according to the third way of the kingdom of God. Well, I'm going to give us a quick recap here. Uh, week one, we looked at civility. And, and specifically what we said was, uh, we, we said that, that Jesus was interested in drawing lines between them and us. He was interested in drawing them to us, right? Week two, we looked at uh, race, specifically racial unity, God's way. And what we said last week was this, that racial unity is not our idea, it's God's idea. It's not our idea, it's God's idea, okay? And then this week, we're going to be looking at race as it pertains to eternity. And the reason is this, the reason is that as, as created beings, we have to understand that we are not bodies with a soul. We are souls with a body. Now, that may be semantics, but it's very important. The idea is this, that we are embodied, embodied souls. Like the essence of who we are is a soul. We are a soul encased in flesh and bone. That means we will last forever. And even when this body dies, our soul will continue to live on. And we will even get a new body, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15. And so we're going to get a new body, but, but no matter what, we will last forever. And so what does this conversation around race look like in eternity? The rest of our time today, we're just going to look at that. Um, and so we're going to go to Revelation chapter 7. This is one of my favorite places in all of the Bible because uh, it gives us this glimpse into heaven, and uh, it's beautiful. Revelation is a book. It's the last book of the Bible. It's a letter that John wrote, and John being the disciple of Jesus, one of the apostles, one of the 12 apostles. And he's the same one who also wrote the, the Gospel of John. Um, and so we're going to be looking at this book, Revelation. And really, it's this the book of Revelation is, is this idea. It's the, it's the revelation of John as it pertains to the church in the things of the end times. And, uh, and so we get to see a glimpse of, of how the, the, the world is going to end, of what's going to happen. Like, spoiler alert, we win. It's crazy. Um, and so, you know, I have a pretty, uh, pretty unshakable faith today because at the end of everything, like, God reigns supreme. And, um, and, and I have a place in heaven. And so do all who uh, call Jesus Lord. And so um, it's an incredible book. Love the book of Revelation. But <clears throat> as we go to Revelation chapter 7, we're going to read in verses 9 and 10. Um, this, is, <clears throat> this is a moment where, where uh, John is, is in heaven, but he's in heaven by a vision. He's not there physically. He's there, he's there by a vision. Okay. So he's kind of caught up in this vision that talks about. All right. So Revelation chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. Here we go. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, 
from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. See, John, he's, he's in the throne room of the Lamb. And who is the Lamb? Jesus. John is in heaven and he's, he's literally like, I mean, you've seen these movies where, where people, they, they walk into this big, massive hall, right? This big room. And, and there's, there's people eating. There's, you know, there's just a banquet hall. But, but at the center of the room, in the back, right, is like the king, like the king, right? And, and this is what we see here, that, that Jesus is on the throne. But John, he describes this, this group of people. He says it's, it's too vast to count. It's too great of a number to count. And specifically, he says this. He says that there's people from every nation. There's people from, from, from every language. There's people from every tribe, right? But specifically, he says there's people from every nation. And this is a fulfillment. This, this entire verse here, verse 9, it's a fulfillment of, of something called a covenant. Now, shameless plug for, for starting next week, we're, we're going to be starting a new series called A New Heart. And I'm so excited about this series, this series, A New Heart, because we're going to be looking at something called covenants. All throughout Scripture, there are these covenants. There are six major covenants in the Bible. And covenants are kind of this way that God interacts with us. It's the way that He makes and keeps promises with us. And we struggle with covenants. We don't really understand covenants today because when we talk about covenants, the first thing that comes to our mind is marriage. But hey, we have prenups, right? Uh, now, just rest assured, like Brittany and I, we don't have a prenup. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but, but some people, they, have, they get prenups. They're like, well, if it ends, it ends, right? Well, that's, that's not really a covenant, okay? In fact, um, a covenant in Scripture, anytime a covenant is broken, there has to be bloodshed. Which means that if a covenant is broken, something or someone has to die. I know, it's brutal. Um, and so we're going to talk about those things, okay? Either an animal has to die or the person who broke the covenant has to die. And so it's a really crazy thing. Like, this is what a covenant really is. And so we're going to get into that, okay? So, so stick with us. Next series, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be interesting. It'll be crazy. And it's going to be beautiful to look at how God keeps his covenants with us. And, um, and even when we break them, he keeps them. That's kind of a spoiler alert. But, uh, it's an incredible thing that we're going to look at. So this series is going to be really good. Okay, a new heart. Um, but to, to not give too much away, um, in Genesis chapter 12, see, God says this to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. See, this is a promise from God to Abraham that through Abraham's line, like through his seed, right? Through his lineage. That all the families in the world, all the families on the earth will be blessed. And here we see in Revelation 7, 9, that really um, God is talking about this, right? He's showing this. He's showing this picture to John. And John says, it was, it was a crowd too vast to count. 
And there were people there from every nation and every tribe and every, every language. And this is a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham thousands and thousands and thousands of years before this moment. That's still going to happen in the future. And so um, it means this. It means that all the people of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. It means that the indigenous Americans will be blessed. It means the black Americans, the white Americans, the Asian Americans, the Hispanic Americans. It means that the Asians, the Hispanics, right? Um, remember, like Christianity is not just an American religion. It is a world religion from all of time. And so, um, and so you're going to see people in, in many countries uh, there in heaven. You're going to see people from all walks of life. You're going to see people in heaven who on earth belong to a country that hasn't existed in thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> see, our citizenship goes beyond our earthly citizenship. Amen? Our heavenly citizenship. It goes far beyond our earthly citizenship. So if you didn't realize, um, the Summer Olympics was supposed to happen in 2020. In fact, uh, it was supposed to start July 23rd, and, and we should be in the thick of the Summer Olympics right now. I'm super bummed about this because I love the Olympics, um, but I'm really bummed about this Olympics being the one that we missed because of this right here. I mean, that's incredible. Like, literally, that is that is a logo redesign that is made you know, for everyone to see, and we're not going to be able to, to use that ever again. So COVID, uh, you're awful. Um, we hate you officially, uh, only because you screwed up that killer logo for uh, Summer Olympics. But anyway, I digress. But back in 2008 of the Summer Olympics, um, you know, like every Olympics, you had an opening ceremony. Well, during the opening ceremony, there were all these commentators, and they were saying things like, man, that is awesome. I mean, oh, it's breathtaking. Oh, that's, in, that's incredible. And they were all excited, you know. And, and um, there was this one commentator, and they said this. They said, this is what happens when you give a creator an unlimited budget. And this, this is what our creator, God the Father, it's what God the creator did with an unlimited budget budget what resulted was the creation a completely breathtaking and significantly complex glorious beautiful diverse vibrant creation and in this creation the world that we live in is the most beautiful and amazing creation of all time and the creator did it with an unlimited budget the creator did it with unlimited resources with unlimited power in John, he sees this fulfilled. He sees the plan of God's creation, the complete diversity in heaven fulfilled. I love in Revelation 7, 9, um, it says two things that are amazing. One, it says that everyone that was there, right, this like really diverse crowd, remember, like people from every nation, from every tribe, from every language, all these people, okay, that they all had two things in common. They, they, they won, they, they were dressed in what? White robes. And two, they held what in their hands? Palm branches. Now, why were they dressed in white robes? And why did they have palm branches 
in their hands because both white robes and palm branches signify victory. These two things are only worn and held after a great victory. And so all of these people are there, they're worshiping Jesus, but they're doing so victoriously, right? And here's what we see, that, that there is no victory without diversity, right? The bottom line is that there's no ultimate victory without complete diversity. If, if, if we're going to be victorious, we're going to be victorious together. Like all of heaven is going to be filled with people from all across the world, every nation and tribe and language. And so we all rejoice together. We're all victorious together. There is no ultimate victory without complete diversity. You may have grown up in a place or a time where diversity was not the goal. You may have grown up in a place or a time where segregation was the goal. You may have even grown up in a church where segregation was the goal. Now, I think some of you, you need to hear this, that that the spirit of that is nothing like heaven. That, That heaven is completely diverse and segregation has no place in the church and it has no place in heaven. It will not be in heaven. And so we serve a God that brings together people from all walks of life, people from all nations, people from all tribes and all languages. The truth is in heaven, there's a good chance that we're the minority. And that's okay. That's quite all right. And so uh, we, as, as Christians, we, we, we want to see, we want to work toward diversity, not toward segregation, not toward separation, but toward diversity, right? And so, are you ready for that? Are you, are you ready for diversity? And what are you doing to see that happen? What are you doing to see that come to fruition? A couple months ago, I had the opportunity to move this refugee family. They were moving from a, a, a multi-family uh, house. There were three families living in one home. And one of the families was, was moving to a new home to have their, their own space, their own place. And uh, I got to talk to the son. He was uh, 18, 19 years old. I got to talk to him about Jesus. And it was incredible. I had this awesome opportunity. It was this family from Iraq. They were, they, were, they were Muslim. And I had this awesome opportunity to talk to him about Jesus. Like, are you working towards seeing diversity of, of Christ followers here in St. Louis? Because the opportunity is here. At Redemption, we've been working on our philosophy and our culture of missions. We've been working on this idea of, of, of what is our culture at redemption around missions? Like, what, is, what does that look like? And uh, our goal in 2021 was to unroll kind of this plan of what missions is going to look like at redemption for the next five years. Our goal was to offer a place, um, you know, that we're going to be partnering with a, a mission organization or missionaries and also to, to provide an outlet, an opportunity for a mission trip. Now, COVID has pumped the brakes on that, but, but it's still there. Our, our goal of, of moving that forward is still there, and as soon as we're able to, we will. Um, but we believe at Redemption, we believe 
that God wants to see heaven populated with diversity. We believe in, in, in this scripture here that one day we're going to see people from every nation and tribe and language in the throne room of God worshiping Jesus. And we believe that as Christ followers at redemption, it is our uh, duty to, to help that along. It is, it is something that we are called to do. We are called to help see heaven populated with a diversity of people. And so missions, this idea of, of the Great Commission, if you don't know that, it's found in Matthew 28. It's this, this section of verses that tells us, it calls us to go and to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus uh, all across the world. Um, we, we are called to do that, right? And, and, and it's not just in St. Louis, but it's around the world as well. Now, if you, if you are interested in that, if you're going, hey, like God has, has given me that desire, I want to see that happen too, do us a favor and in the comment section, just type, that's me. Very simply, that's me. Because we want to connect with you and we want to hear your heart and we want to plug you into the work of seeing missions uh, happen at redemption, seeing the work of missions happen at redemption. So go ahead and, and just put in the comment section, that's me, and we'll connect with you. But right now, we're considering mission opportunities in Japan, in China, in southern Brazil, Guatemala City, Haiti, and South Africa. So we're looking at many different places, and uh, and we're just waiting to see where God will have us um, you know, partner with or who God will have us partner with. Um, but, but you know, when we look at 2020, I think we can look at it as a wasted year. We can look at it and go, you know what, hey, this year, it's just, it's awful, it sucks, it's over, right? Like, it's over for me. I'd rather just move on. And we can look at it as a wasted year, but that's spiritually immature. It is. It really is. Instead of looking at it as a wasted year, look at it as a wilderness year. And there's a difference between, between wasted and wilderness, okay? big difference. Wasted is you might as well just put it in the garbage, right? Uh, along with the them garbage, put it in the 2020 garbage, okay? It's done. A wilderness year is different. See, we, we want to enter the wilderness with intentionality. What do I mean by that? I mean this, that Jesus, Jesus, every time that he did something incredible, he went away to the wilderness. I, I think the most powerful thing about Jesus' ministry was not the moment that he healed the person. It was not the moment that he cast out the demons and the people. It's not the moment that he, that he resurrected the people from the dead. No, no. The most credible part of Jesus' ministry was before that. It was the moment that he went away to the wilderness time and time again. Scripture says that he would withdraw and he would go to a desolate place, a.k.a the wilderness. And what would he do there? He would pray. He would pray that God the Father would move. See, we can look at 2020 as a wasted year, or we can look at it as a wilderness year. At redemption, we're going to look at it as a wilderness year. And we're going to move forward with intentionality. And we're going to pray that God is going to do incredible things. We're going to intentionally pray and we're going to prepare for God to do a powerful move on our behalf in this community and in this church. 2020 isn't a wasted year. It's a wilderness year. 
And so at Redemption, um, what, we, what are we going to do for the rest of the year when it comes to missions? We're going to pray. So I invite you to pray with us, to pray for missions, to pray for the world. Uh, you know, I think we're in this pandemic and what you see over and over and over again in Scripture is that God uses terrible, broken things for His glory. He uses, um, you know, famines. He uses floods. He uses a lost battle or war. He uses the death of a leader for His glory. And, And hear me, hear me. I'm not saying that this pandemic is good. It's not. People are dying. It is not good. Um... But let's be biblical for a moment and let's just believe that God could do something incredible in this pandemic spiritually, that he could turn hearts of people across the globe toward him, that he could get them ready for their white robes and palm branches, that he could get them ready for that beautiful and vibrant moment where there's complete diversity and ultimate victory in the throne room of heaven. Maybe we can have the faith that Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, isn't fake news, but it's real. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Let's pray that that God who is able will, the, the God who is able will, that He will act and He will do incredible things. Let's be biblical for a second. Let's not not waste 2020. Let's enter the wilderness together and let's pray. Let's pray that, that one day there will be ultimate victory through complete diversity, right? That we're gonna do this together. And let's pray that 2020 is a year that people from all across the globe come to faith in Jesus. Father, uh, that's what we pray for. We pray for uh, a complete diversity to start filling the heavens. God, we pray that, that together that we are victorious. There's no, there's no victory on our own. No, no, we're victorious when there's complete diversity. And so God, we pray that people across the globe would hear the name of Jesus. They would repent and they would choose to follow him. God, we pray that you would get the white robes ready for them. We pray that you would get the palm branches ready for them. And God, I pray that as, as people here on this earth who are living through this pandemic and who are struggling, um, struggling emotionally and physically and spiritually, who are lonely, who are hurting, God, I pray. I pray that you would work in their hearts. You would turn their hearts toward you and that you would get that throne room filled, packed because of what is happening in 2020, um, not, not, not because of the pandemic, but in spite of the pandemic. God, we pray that you would use this pandemic for good things. Father, we love you and uh, we praise you. And it's all these things we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.